Hello and welcome to another edition of the Dan Assor Show for trade show and event professionals, supported by community patrons Smart Digital, Tarsus Group, SISO, 19 Group and TF Connect. This week I spoke with Tamar Beck, former Groups Event Director at Reed Exhibitions and for the last 11 years CEO and co-founder of Gleanin, the community marketing platform for event marketers. My conversation with Tamar includes a journey from employee to business owner, why treating marketing as simply visitor promotion is a missed opportunity, how marketing can help generate exhibition sales, monetization models for communities, putting values above revenues, how the exhibition industry can attract new talent, industry diversity and inclusion, and which event professionals she would be happy to be stranded on a desert island with. Please follow me on Spotify and Apple podcast platforms and subscribe to my YouTube channel by searching Dan Assor. Hello and welcome to Tamar Beck. How are you doing, Tamar? I'm good, thank you. Nice, nice to see you, Dan. You too, you too. We're, we were just saying, we're, you're one of those people that uh, I've yet to meet in person, but um, we've seen each other post uh, on our, our various LinkedIn uh, platforms. So I know you. <laughs> <laughs> you say that in such a sinister way. <laughs> Tamar, we are here to talk about all things community marketing and events. But before we get into all that good stuff, you've obviously been a business owner now for, I think, coming up for 11 years. And obviously, you're the CEO of Gleanin, which uh, is a community marketing platform for those that aren't aware. And it'd be really good for people that, I guess, have just started a business or thinking of starting a business. They've been employed. They've got an idea. Really interested to understand the transition and the background because I know you were at Reed for 15 years before you launched Glean In. So talk us about your journey. Talk to us about the journey from being at Reed to, to launching your own business. So um, like everything in my life, everything's happened through serendipity. Okay. <laughs> Nothing's been particularly planned, but yeah. great things have happened. And I think I was in, um, in fact, before I worked for Reed Exhibitions, I worked for Reed Elsevier. So I've always okay. worked for a big, big corporate uh, organization. And being, and, and I'd done quite well in my career. Reed were great to me. I had a lot of career progression. I was in a fairly senior role. But the exhibitions world is run by, by men. And okay. you get to a certain time in your career as a woman where you have to make decisions about, what type of life you want to lead and whether you're going to have kids and how things are going to pan out. Um, and I just kind of got so tired of it and decided that I just didn't want to kind of fight anymore for that, that place. I right. absolutely loved my job and the people that I worked with, but I just decided I, I was not going to go the next step because of the cost <laughs> the cost to myself and sure. kids and stuff for doing that and um so i i had my family went read were great to me because i didn't let a lot of women uh go part-time in those days i was full-time or get out sure. um, but they did they i, I went part-time for a few years had had my family and then the opportunity came up i was fairly excited to get um redundancy because i've been there for so long and i i got quite a bit of uh, you know quite a good payoff and I made a vow to myself at that point that I would never do another job or work on projects that didn't really excite me 
And I kind of envisaged that actually what I would do would never work in a proper job ever again. Um, But I would maybe work with people that I really liked and do freelancing and that kind of thing. Um, But I took a bit of time off and then I just got introduced to AJ and Peter, who were my who are the co-founders of, of Gleaning and they're techies. So completely different, different space. And I actually just got asked to do a bit of consultancy with them as someone that I previously worked with said, talk yeah. to Tamar because you're looking at the exhibitions business and she'll be able to, you know, tell you what she thinks of these ideas. Um, and they've happened upon the exhibition industry. They built, built um, a kind of Twitter social listening tool back in the day and they wanted to talk to someone from the exhibitions industry and I thought oh my god this is going to be like a really techie project but I'll go in and you know give them my honest opinion and kind of the rest is history like I really loved what they were building we ended up doing a bit more work I was testing the market for them because obviously I've got a lot of contacts and we we actually in early 2012 decided we had a talk with each other. I was like, right, are we going to go for this? And if we're going to go for it, we're going to go for it together. I'll be the industry side of things and, um, and, and they'll concentrate on the tech technology and we'll bring it together. And that's what we did. So we got angel, we actually um, got some angels, really great angels funding, uh, giving us a bit of funding to begin with. Um, they've been, they're still with us and they've been fantastic. And um, that's that's how how we came together, and we've gone through iterations. But we yeah. actually the three three of us just get on really well, and that may not have happened. We didn't know that at the time, but we we really complement each other. We've, we've so that's really interesting. So because uh, you know a lot of people that find a business have always had a burning desire to do to do that with a product <laughs> that they have been thinking about for five years while you know they call it the side hustle now i think don't they yeah so, no it wasn't you. <laughs> so you you literally were like i've just uh, these are my words not yours i've got to get out of what i'm doing um and actually so, yeah yeah sometimes it takes just having getting the break and then thinking about what to do next rather and also than, just um like yeah. i say to a lot of people in my network who think about doing the same thing especially people i used to work with at read is and i realized i was in a very uh, privileged position to be able to do that as well there were a lot of people sure. that have to stay in jobs that they don't enjoy anymore for whatever reason but i was able to get out and i say to people that once you're out and you just just leave yourself open to possibilities keep talking to yeah. people keep meeting people keep going for those coffees you will be amazed at kind of what happens um but it's not until you're open to that that sometimes those things kind of come up and you meet great people like peter and aj would never have been i, I if i was at reed still i never would have took sure. a meeting with them <laughs> um so it's it's you know I, I listen a lot to a lot of podcasts and conversation and it's about sort of overcoming the fear as well isn't it of doing yeah. something different especially if you've been doing something for so long um for for the for for the period of time yeah you kind of feel you lose your confidence quite a lot because you get into your box and especially when you work for a corporate they put you in a box whether you kind of like it or not and you get known for certain things and you you start to think that you you can't do anything else yeah and especially as a woman you 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 know tends have a tendency towards 
accepting those labels and, and those limitations. Sure. But actually, um, it's really invigorating when you go out and do something yeah. and it actually works and people like it and you're yeah. getting accredited for this stuff because you're just, you're just doing your thing. But, um, yeah. Sure. And I think it's sometimes harder just generally as you get older, right? Because if you, yeah. if you follow the traditional trajectory of uh you know i don't know building a family then you've got more responsibilities you know personally financially so it's not just as simple as you know quitting your, your job the, being a business owner and having the destiny in your own hands yes it's a positive and i'm sure there's been lots of fantastic and positive moments but i can imagine that there's also you know even though you've got two trusted uh colleagues alongside you uh, that helped you found the business. I, I imagine there's been a lot of, not dark times, but times where you doubt yourself and actually whether it's been the right decision or can I do this? And, you know, what, what advice would you give to people that are in that position, even maybe in the early days when it's possibly not working, like, you know, that they thought it would be? Have you overcome adversity, I guess, as a business owner? Yeah. Um, so I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed. I can still do that now. Like we we've just recruited new people. The team's getting busier. You know, things are going well. We're starting to scale up again after COVID. Yeah. If you sit and think about it, you can very quickly overwhelm yourself with the things that are going to come next and what if and what do we do sure. when this happens. One of my biggest fears is is about growing bigger and about suddenly yeah. managing loads of people because I've done that before in the corporate yeah. world and we've been this nice little small tight little unit and you know things have gone good. So for me I I think that's probably a personality trait is just like yeah. um the way that I deal with it is just focus on what's next. And I just try to break break the tasks down, stop thinking about too big a picture, like where do we want to be in five years or two years or three years? Yep. Actually just deal with what's in front of you and just take it step by step. And it's really hard to do that, but um, I think that's what we've done. And also the two guys, when we decided to do this together, my biggest tip really would be to make sure that you share the same values. So almost forget about the product yeah. And and the business, if you if you are going into business with someone else, I, I just think I've been so lucky in that we deep down, we all operate on the same principles, like we believe in the same things. We've got the same val real values. So it's meant that we've always been able to be honest with each other. And in our own lives, if things have got hard, like they've got little kids as well. And we've just we've just managed to just be able to be honest with each other and support each other when you know shit happens and um that is more valuable than anything and then when you move together as on on the business you you, you have that trust that they're gonna always do the right thing they trust me i trust them and we make those decisions together and we're able to voice things that we don't agree with you know and it, it just yeah. i think that's probably fundamentally um i never feel alone you know yeah. the three of us are yeah. Take our, you know, yeah, that's good to hear. And obviously, I guess the consistency between you working at Reed and obviously running Gleaning is, you know, events to a certain extent. So the, the, the thread connecting them together, obviously, the community marketing element as well. Why stay within that arena? What, what, what do you love about the sort of events? <laughs> Again, your, face, your face is lit up. 
<laughs> yeah, because um, well, I do love I do love events. I absolutely when I first went to read exhibitions, I couldn't be, believe my luck. It was a job that I I just loved it. Yeah. I loved it, loved it. Like I'd been in publishing before, and then I get to events, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. When you've been around for a long time, it's it's kind of what you are, and. Sure. Um, some, I guess something else could have come out of it, but it just happened to be that, um, you know, AJ and Peter, we, we just got put together and they were looking at something related to the event sector. And I happened to be that person that was, you know, at that time. And, um, and I guess, you know, so much experience, it's like someone's either going to want that experience for some, you know, some, something else unrelated or, or, you know, you go where your experience takes you and you, sure. you do you do learn stuff. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's been very helpful well, of course. to have that experience. Of course. Okay, so um, thanks for that. We could probably do a whole show just on your uh, running <laughs> of the last 10 years. But <laughs> let's let's sort of get stuck into some of the topics that we're, we're going to speak about. And you've spoken quite a bit about exhibition organisers needing to swap focus from exhibitors to attendees. Talk to me about that. Let's let's discuss that. Start off with. So, um, I've obviously worked for a big exhibition organizer and um, kind of understand the focus on revenue within those organisations. So, when you're running your shows, you know you 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 have to deliver a bottom line, and yeah. the bottom line for most exhibitions, especially in the UK, I know that's not the case in, in the US always. Is 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 it's all about exhibitor revenue, and there, um, it's that. It's all about selling to exhibitors, and then for three or four months before the event, you know, the marketing team start to try to get some visitors in. And now that I'm an exhibitor myself, so don't forget, I'm now on the other foot, which yeah. is a, like a really weird experience, and you do really it opens your eyes. Um, the I still see people doing that. And for me, it's just like, if you cannot, if you deliver value to attendees, you will get exhibitors wanting to buy space at your show and participate in your show. But this constant focus on trying to sell exhibitors in with, you know, stats of how many people are going to be there or who came last year and who they were. It's so old and it, I, I can tell you as an exhibitor, I've never bought, uh, participated in a show based on that. Yeah. I, I talk to people that I know and say, is this good? Has it got a good reputation? I hope that I know some people that attend it and they tell me good things. And if I get a sense that um, it's serving a purpose and it's valuable, then we'll put money into it and we'll participate. So I think... Um, I think the revenue models for exhibition organisers just um, perpetuate that behaviour where it's sales is the most important thing in an exhibition organiser team. Yeah. Um, the tactics are really old fashioned. Um, people, I know people are still got, getting call rates and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. If, if half the effort went into to really understanding what the audience wants and delivering it, um, I, I'm convinced that there would be more profits, yeah. um, but it's but it would take investment. And every every year on my shows at Reed, um, and I'm not slagging them off. I think every, I think a lot of them are the same. Trying to get investment, you know, we do all this research. We talk to attendees, and they tell us what they want. And we'd go every year with a plan and say, 
this is what the market says that we want, this is what we need to do, this is how much it costs, and it'd be, you yeah. know. Um, there, and there are some people doing great things. Like if you look at Informa, who parts of Informa, like Informa Tech and Connect, they have whole media businesses as well. They're just far better positioned to start. Actually, they deliver um, value to communities or groups of people with shared interests. And events is just one other thing that they deliver. But they've got a different mindset. And the mindset is that we're serving a particular industry sector and we're trying to educate them and we're you know, bringing them together on occasions. And sometimes we'll be introducing suppliers into that. But it's not all they do and if yeah. you if you ask a member of that community you know um it's those people that we should care about i think i think you're right i think it also sometimes depends on you know if you have the luxury of launching something then you can, you al can always start from scratch right yeah. and so if yeah. i was to launch an event now actually i wouldn't launch an event I'd, as you say i'd look at the community see how they're best served mm. um i think you know pre-covid if you had an existing event and you didn't have all the stuff around it, it is easier to go back, I guess, to doing that rather than throw away the whole sort of business model. Because you do speak around designing around the needs of the community members and trying to build the fact that trying to build a community around a single event brand is challenging. And you reference uh, in some of your um, posts some organized, some membership associations that, that do this very well. Sort of bring that to life. What have you seen that organizers could sort of take from them so if you look at um so in in the us most of the big trade shows or a lot of the big top hundred are run by actual uh, membership associations they've got associations for everything sure. we we really didn't understand that part that very well when we kind of started moving into the states but they have um they they usually play by a different set of principles and they're trying to they because their existence is about serving a an industry, membership, um, delivering value, lobbying, you know, all sorts of things that they're doing for that community. Again, the event is one aspect of it. Sometimes that event can be profitable, but profit isn't the primary the driver. Yeah, driver. Um, but they're trying to do other things uh, in in that. That doesn't mean to say they don't get caught up in selling shelves, but you know, stands and things. But I think. They're they're closer to their closer to the end user, closer to that attendee than exhibition or for profit exhibition organisers tend to be because there's that model in place which is like we make money off exhibitors, so exhibitors are always yeah. the primary or uh, the priority for us. So we sell to exhibitors. We sell them sometimes stories that are not real or we, we try to come up with things we think are valuable to them because we've got to sell them before we've got the audience. And it's all just yeah. kind of the wrong way around. It, it just feels, it, you know, the more I think about it, the more crazy I think it is. Even, even if you want to fixate on your exhibitor, honestly, I don't think exhibitors care yeah. how many people came. I, I'm an exhibitor. I do, I do not give a toss whether it's 5,000 people or 10,000. All yeah. I care about is who did I have conversations with? Exactly, yeah. Were, were, were they valuable? <laughs> Talk to me about event stakeholders. I, I agree with you when you say that they're key to driving your event marketing success. And we probably don't. And I know, obviously, Gleaning provides a solution to help this. How else do you think we can you know, maximise those sort of stakeholders to, to produce the right type of audience to an event? 
Yeah, so obviously we help people do those things, but it's yeah. not a new thing. Um, sure. So e even when I was at Reed, we used to spend a lot of time. Like we, we'd kind of worked out that exhibitors, for instance, if you, if you could get exhibitors to market their own participation at your event, they were generally more successful at, at um, bringing visitors into the event than our, sometimes our own marketing. Like that used to be, I remember on some of our shows, it would be our top channel. So getting, um, and, and basically it kind of makes sense because, you know, a show brand doesn't tend to have a relationship or a, 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 um, a strong relationship with what they think of their customers. Um, you, you're trying to market for, over the top of an exhibit to an audience who, do, who might not feel any affinity with your brand at all. <laughs> Uh, they they did, probably don't care that it's um, Reed or Informer running this yeah. event. They might know the event name if you're lucky. Um, but the, they'll tend to be making decisions on going because of who they're going to see there and meet or hear from. So the more so if, if we were at an event and we were doing some marketing, we might do a bit under our brand. But actually, if it was me, I, I would say on my LinkedIn, like, who's going or we're going to be there, right? I've got connections that are real people and I'm a real person as well. Um, so there's only so much you can do with a brand, but exhibitors will have customers that know who their brand is. So they're already an advantage compared to, you know, um, a packaging show or yeah. something like that. They're, they're just, you know, I think the organisers sometimes forget they're not as pivotal. And it's actually the people in the event, those other stakeholders that really hold the cards. Yeah. And you've got to work out how are you going to get those people to participate and take, you know, and, and just do some, uh, you know, talk about the event in their own networks. Yeah. Uh, you, you speak about uh, treating marketing as simply Visprom, and there's still too much focus on, you know, attribution and the last click model. Can you bring that to life? You know, you know, I've been, we've all worked on events where it's really just the last three months that there's all the activity is sort of pushed towards. Give us your view and really, in your opinion, how we should be changing that and how. So, again, it's, it kind of goes back to that. Um, well, people have had, you'd have thought a lot of organisers would have had a short, sharp shock with covid when you only speak to your audience for three months a year and you only are ever asking them to register for something, because let's face it, most of this problem, that's, that's, it's a call to action and it's about register, register, register. There's no two-way conversation. There's no other value in it from, from, um, from, from the audience. So COVID hits, your event can't happen. What do you what, what do you say? Um, and potentially those people just kind of walk away and forget about you and you've got to come again. Whereas if you were if you were putting attendees at the heart of your event and trying to serve that part of the industry, whoever it is that you want to come, you wouldn't only do that sort of stuff. You you wouldn't be just talking to them three months a year. You'd be immersed in that part of the industry you'd be talking to them all the time you'd be learning about their pain points you'd be you know getting down and dirty with them you'd be really trying to understand what it is that drives them and then you'd bring that together maybe with your one trade show but with covid you could potentially do webinars every month you could deliver other educational content thought leadership social post you know you could do so much more than than they they do do you think possibly it's because of the way that marketing departments are set up that actually 
some organizers have a marketing team that work on multiple events. They just go from event to an event. So they don't really have the luxury of working on a community model throughout the year. They're literally like parachuted in three months before, you know, each one. Definitely. Um, and I know that that has changed a lot since I've been in events as well, because we did have our own marketing team for my event. And even then, um, and actually, I think back to some of the proposals that we put in to actually do some of that community stuff. And because it costs money, it we could never do it. I literally had to fund things under the table or get a sponsor to cover the money so I could run a breakfast. Briefing allegedly, or, allegedly. Yeah. yeah. You know, but you were doing stuff like that because you knew it was really valuable and we'd learn a lot. But actually, you could, it, it just looks like a cost center. It's a cost. It's sure. a cost. Has to be covered by revenue, you know, three or four times. So I think there's a mentality of VizProm is all about getting people to register for an event and there's no, there's nothing else to it. Things might be different now, but in back in my day, and I think it's probably still the same, there was almost no marketing for exhibitors. So, I, you, you know, you might get your marketing team writing a, an email and doing a brochure yeah. or, you know, getting the website up and stuff like that. But otherwise it was like salespeople just cold calling a really bad database usually and who wants cold calls these days anyway there was there was no marketing campaign um about there was no story to be told there was no marketing yeah. behind that it was just um salespeople trying to flog space so yeah. I, I me i think marketing's at the heart of it and you've got to get your brand known in the industry sector that you're serving and that means you have to have marketing good marketing good storytelling you've got to be delivering value and that means i think i think it's probably one of the most important roles and it's an investment not a not a cost center not expense and that that leads us nicely on to how we think marketing can help sales as you've just said there's still a lot of focus on you know call rates for new business and a lack of understanding about how people make purchasing decisions you know where i've worked there's always this sometimes unhealthy tension between marketing and sales. Yeah, they get blamed for the, the, they're the ones you yeah. blame if your visitor numbers are, <laughs> are, are down or yeah. Yeah. How, how do you think the two divisions teams can work better together? I mean, it might even be just the way, you know, they're even placed in the organization. You know, I've worked in places where sales are on floor three, marketing's on floor two. I've worked in places where they're all together as one team. Do you think the dynamic of the working environment can can help that as much as you know strategically? Yeah, the, the, the kind of work environment, yes. But I think um, the, that mind shift from Visprom cost center to you know versus sales, which is celebrated. Yeah. And I think that's a that's like a cultural mindset in a lot of organisations. Uh, one thing that really surprised me, and I was still at Reed Exhibitions when I learned this, is I worked, I looked after the IT shows. And we often used to go out and visit our exhibitors, our customers like HP, IBMs and people like that. And you'd go to speak to marketers at their companies. And if you look, if the exhibition industry looked at how other businesses um, utilize marketing and how that generates or creates demand for sales, it's done completely differently. And I still can't believe, I, I saw that 12 13 years ago and think well why aren't we doing that to what sort of things what sort of things when you so say different? They, 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 you know they so they have a product we have a show and their marketing teams 
um, job is to create demand for that product. Um, they create demand. They they create they they get people to want to buy it. By yeah. the, these days, it'll be um, you know content. It'll be social media. You know, not brand yeah. stuff particularly, but using people, um, creating stories, living yeah. value, thought leadership. All of that. All of that stuff um, pushes people through the funnel and gets them to to want to buy. But the really weird thing in exhibitions is they don't use. They don't tend to use marketing to generate demand for uh, sponsorship or exhibitors. I don't know why, but they tend to concentrate marketing activities on BizProm. Yeah. And it's completely separate from, you know, like if a marketer, a marketer is the brand, they're telling the brand story. They should be doing that to the industry of which uh, then creates demand for um sponsors and exhibitors and suppliers who want to participate but it also creates demand for people to want to attend the event you know like it comes together that's what your brand is the value yeah i think you're right and it also i think it it, it potentially needs different types of skills now within the sales team as well yeah you know, new talents coming up it's not just about yeah obviously you, you want to have an appetite you want to you know enjoy the sales process and closing deals but as you say, you need to have an appreciation, and this comes from the top as well, that it isn't just about bashing the phones. You know, it's consultative, it's storytelling, it's thought leadership, it's, you know, advocacy of your brand. Yeah, and I think, you know, marketing's job, it's, it's about um, what you're doing with marketing is you're creating demand. You're not generating leads. And I think what salespeople, um, especially in the old school, I want leads, or my database is leads and I'm just going to ring them up until I find someone that converts. I mean, I just can't believe that's working very well these days um, because I'd never buy anything off a, off a call. If you were lucky enough to hit me on the day that I've decided that I do want the product, that's because I've already gone through quite a, a process of I've, I've heard about your brand. I've heard about what you do. I've checked you out with people that I know and trust. I'm in the market for, you know, needing to do this to find new business or whatever it is. People take themselves through that. And um, it seems to be that in terms of the way we sell exhibition space, we're kind of not, we're not trying to tap into any of the yeah. things that actually influence people's decisions to buy. Um, but I do think, you know, the um, dark social, the stuff like, you know, pe pe personalities in the industry that work for their events, that are talking about their events, they, they, they're, you know, they're doing quite a lot to drive that yeah. demand. It, yeah. And this is what I talk about in terms of last click attribution. Marketing gets judged on which which thing got the click and someone registered from. But there's so much more yeah, course, that yeah. goes on um, behind the scenes. And the same goes with sales. I mean, I have never bought a single thing off a, off a cold sales call ever. And I don't know anybody that enjoys that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll take a call when I'm ready for it, but I'll have already done my groundwork. Help me with the groundwork. Yeah. You, so you hope that someone's built that relationship with you uh in some way shape or form beforehand and actually yeah, and I, to me that's what i see mark that's what marketing does sure no i agree how do you think we need to attract new talent into into the industry well you know um again if you everything we just spoke about just then makes it feel like not an attractive industry to work in if you are a marketing professional We've got some great marketeers in our industry who I hope most of them are working in positions where they are allowed to 
you know, do those things and they're not just, you know, cranking the same old wheel and, and process every time. But if you're looking at the outside and you were looking at our industry first of all like um events were the first thing to get shut down so it, it might not feel like yeah, a particularly yeah. secure career is it exciting if you went for an interview it depended on who you're interviewing with as a marketer would it feel exciting compared to an agency or somewhere where marketing yeah. was like your core business and you were really valued if you're going to attract people from outside the industry in someone with digital marketing skills qualifications and experience you've got to pay them a lot of money and give them an exciting career opportunity and growth and to be honest in the exhibition industry we've always struggled with what is that career path for a marketer because most yeah. of the success has gone to gobby salespeople, and of which i was one by the way so i'll say that but you know um sales are yeah. rewarded for selling marketeers are you know the cost center so they they've been harder to push into director roles um but i think they make great directors but i think if you if you're a marketer why would you come into the industry if it's not clear to you what what your next steps would be you yeah. know how much are you going to learn how much how much freedom are you going to have how many how many exciting projects are you going to be working on yeah okay. you've got to pay you've got to pay You've yeah. got to you've got to let marketers do their thing. Not con you don't want salespeople telling marketers what to do, or even CEOs of exhibition companies who yeah. won't be marketing specialists. If you're going to bring them in, you've got to um, embrace their skills and let yeah. them do do their job because they are professionals. It's you know I, I'm not a marketer, but I'm I'm just fascinated. I'm fascinated with it, and um, you know. I think it's good to be curious and let people, you know, do their, sure. do their thing. Um, and obviously people need to look at, as you said, a career path. And I guess uh, who's currently in the senior positions in the industry. I know, uh, oh, you're shaking your head. I'm saying <laughs> I can't think of, think of one. Talk to me about industry leadership because I know you've got oh. some views. <laughs> so, well, I'm, I'm just, I cannot wait for the makeup of our industry leadership leaders to just start looking different um and i think that and and that's not just just for being different i think it will really change fundamentally change the cultures inside the businesses and the future of the products and what they do um when everybody looks the same everybody talks the same everyone's got the same views you end up just doing the same thing and i think that's kind of where we are. Um, it's great to see more women coming through, but it's still really hard. There's still an old boys club. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder how that recruitment happens at the top level. Um, you know, it, 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 you know, whilst all those golf games and stuff are going on, you're going to keep seeing people moving on. And I, do, I, I, I love, you know, some of those people I really lo love and I've got yeah. great relationships. It's not, um, it's not a diss against them. I'm just saying like, if you, if you, if the, this part of the industry is really behind other parts of the event sector, like corporate events and all that kind of thing. And it, it, it's, it's, so you're it's talking really, about the exhibitions industry. I'm talking about exhibitions yeah. in particular because i don't really yeah. know about much no, about the other side yeah. of it but i just think compared to other industry sectors it's really behind and it has quite old-fashioned tactics and the way that it views itself and all that kind of stuff and um i actually think 
I honestly believe it will be more successful when that when it starts to look more diverse. Sure. Because how, how, do we, how do we? Sorry, how do we affect that change? Because I know you're part, of the, you're, you're part of the Women in Exhibitions yeah, network yeah. in the UK. Do you think those sort of organisations are what's needed to? And it's not. Just I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yes, I I do just because it brings a focus. And I think one of the main things that Women in Exhibitions is trying to do is nurture and support the younger women um, coming up through the industry and, and, and trying to um, nurture them and help them grow their careers as they might be the next leaders in, you know, we hope that some of them will be the next leaders in the industry. Um, so I feel like we've got a duty to do it and to support, you know, to support those people, make sure they've got mentors and stuff that are going to help them. I think men should be part of that. So I don't I, I kind of like, you know, I wish we didn't need to have it. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you, you want men to be part of that change, men pushing and supporting uh, great women that they see in, in their industry and putting them forward. But people at the top need to make space for that to happen as well. So um, it's, it's got to happen everywhere. And it's not, not just women. Um, there are, you know, other, other diversity. I mean, you, you know, most of the people in our industry are white. Most of the people that run the big corporates are white men. So diversity, whatever it looks like, um, will mean that people come to their roles with different experiences and those different experiences you don't all have to have degrees I haven't got a, a degree they yeah. don't all have to have this experience and that experience they don't all have to work in an exhibition for 15 years and they don't need to know the process but they will bring value if you if you give them space um, and I just think we just we desperately need that because it's 2022 I mean it's yeah. shocking sometimes <laughs> really need to everybody needs to just have a little word with themselves and say have I really when I recruited for that position did I really um, make sure that um, I, I, I you know that it was a position that looked like it was open to people that I didn't know or yeah. um, you know if I want those people I've got to I've got to make sure that I, I the door is open for them and um, just the way your company looks can sometimes feel like it's not a place for you sure um just want to move on talking about that there's been some talk again on on socials around um people's values and how they align that to maybe clients they take on board or events that they work with or even exhibit at so potentially boycotting events what a better word because you don't agree with the values or the politics of a city or a state um, obviously, event organisers like Hive have had to pull out of Russia. What, what's what's your view? God, I, this is a really hard one because, um, as you saw, I was commenting on something yesterday. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I, I like to think that I would um, be someone who would take that, um, you know, stand up for the principles that I've got. But I have worked for an organisation, uh, you know, and I've worked for Reed when we run the um, DSCI and we used to, you know, go through protesters every day to get into the office. Yeah. Now Clarion have that to deal with. And, you know, when when we're bandying around those things, so I think that conversation on LinkedIn at the moment is, 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 is being caused by the anti-abortion 
some yeah. of the anti-abortion stuff that's happened and it's all around that but I've I've been in positions where I think you know maybe my company is doing something or there are shows that maybe we you know is that with my values or against my values so now that I so I've been in that position and if you're if you work for an organization you know you're only going to be able to do so much or or sure. be in a position where you can walk away from your job and not everyone can do that, even if it's against their principles. But as a business owner, and because I've got a great relationship with the two co-founders, I think that we could have that, and we have had a conversation along the lines of uh, a, something that we didn't want to get involved in yeah. because it was against our values. And we took the decision to say okay. no to the revenue. Yeah. I, I I don't know if we were in, I, and I like to think that nothing would be worth sacrificing some of those principles, but that's because we're, that's because I work with those people. You could be in another organization, work with another partner, and you might have opposing principles, and then what do you do? Yeah, I guess if you're making um, a choice as an individual or as a bigger business or with, you know, a couple of colleagues that is going to make a difference to what you can and can't. Yeah. So I think everyone on those posts I've been seeing is like, if it was a personal thing, sure. so if, I, if I'm, if I'm going to go to um, an event in the U S um, you know, I, I, I might decide I'm not going to Texas now, for instance, but I can take that decision personally, not to ever go on holiday in Texas or yeah. anywhere near Trump or anything, you know, I can make those decisions. But as a as a business owner, it does need careful thinking about um, and the way you communicate it as well. Like I've managed to get myself out of and I'm not going to mention the situations, but, I'm, you know, you don't want to have confrontations all the time. But you sure. know that you don't want to work with someone. And it's like, yeah. are you going to tell them why or are you going to just, yeah. you know, get yourself out of it? In just a different give it way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Covered a lot. We're reaching the end. Um, just give us a flavour of what is going to be coming up for Gleaning over the next months, years, anything that... Well, like that I said, I don't like to think too far ahead because it gets a bit overwhelming. But right. um, <laughs> for us, um, yeah. we've got holidays. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we've recruited um, three new team members recently, so it's great. We're getting to know each other. Um, we are focused on starting to scale. Like we obviously, COVID hit us really badly because we before sure. then we worked with very much live events. But we're really proud that we've managed to actually turn our business around. We're about almost at our pre-COVID um, status now, and now it's about like scaling the business. So I'm excited for that, but also you're you know it's nerve wracking because as you start to recruit people and things sure. get bigger and they you know. You get more more responsibility on your shoulders, but that that's what we're we're after. We we want to educate the market. We want to grow our own networks. We want to we genuinely want to help and support marketers because they have a really tough job and they get a tough rap. And to me, they're so skilled and um, you know professionals. These people go into that job because they they marketing and um, yeah, they're they're our tribe. Cool. Thank you. So final question, uh, you are fortunately, let's hope it doesn't happen, uh, stranded on a, a desert island. Let's say you've come off a, a, a boat party with a load of event professionals and two, three of you washed up on a beach. Who are the two people that you'd most like to be with you for a, a duration on a, if you're stranded and why? 
So I mean, stressing about the two people of who I've got to leave out. But um, oh, right. and and I'm going to mention a couple of women. But I, yeah. if I could have more, I'd have some men men in there as well. But um, well, you can mention. Two, let's mention one man and two women. Okay. Oh my God! Now you've put me right on the spot. So um, my two women would be um, Chloe Richardson, who I've only met a couple of times, but I got to know during COVID, and we've got some yeah. nice little WhatsApp um, book clubs and things going on. For her endless optimism and just being like a really just great person, and Sophie Holt. From, and actually, they both work together now, so that just shows you how yeah. we've all been networking um, <laughs> yeah. during LinkedIn, uh, yeah, during COVID. And um, Sophie Holt for her just wit, and I just, I just love her. Um, I just love her approach, and I, I, I could spend a lot, long time with her, and we'd, we'd be quite entertained. And in terms of a guy, <laughs> who's the lucky chap? Who's the lucky chap? <laughs> I can't really, I, I, it would be wrong to probably nominate someone from my own team, but it'd probably be but I, Jerry, who's... No, you can't, have, you can't have everyone can't. from your own okay, team. Okay, no, no, okay. no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to I don't know you. then. I mean, oh, it's a tight one, but may, maybe like Adam Parry. I'm trying to think, there's so many people that I've had great times with at shows, yeah. but Adam, <laughs> um, Matt Coyne, yeah. there, there's just too, too many to mention. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'd probably get mention... bored of them all if, they, if we were stuck on the desert island together, but, you know. <laughs> You've mentioned a fair few. Thank you. Yeah. Neymar, thank you so much. Really You're interesting. Welcome. Some Thanks great news. Some good content. Uh, we managed to extend it to almost an hour, but I think it was worth <laughs> it because there's a lot of... Lot of uh, I think I could definitely have you back on as a weekly guest, putting the, putting the world to rights on lots of different issues. <laughs> um, so thank you, Tamar Beck, who is the CEO of Gleaning. You're welcome. Thanks.